0: Boom. How are you this morning? Good. Good. Yeah. Was that incredible? I don't know if you're aware of this, but the couple that was there on the stage at the very end, they're actually engaged in getting married in a few months. How cool is that? We're excited about that. And so from now on, that's going to be a part of our premarital counseling is you have to be able to sing that <laughs> in church in order to get married. We have felt like that was kind of a natural progression. <clears throat> A million dreams. You know, I I think every parent, every healthy, strong, wise parent holds for their children a million dreams. From the the moment that you you find out you're expecting to the birth and then through all of the ups and downs of of childhood and and rearing children to to move out and, and become independent financially and in every other way. I think all parents really and truly do have a million dreams for their kids, a million dreams of how they're going to live, how they're going to love, how they're going to work and fulfill the creative genius design of God who created them in his image and then entrusted them to our care. But you know, those million dreams, if you're even remotely paying attention, those Million dreams, I think, raise an absolutely immediate question. If you do have a million dreams for your kids, the question is right there in front of you, how? How do you How do you get there? How do you realize the dream that God has for your children? How do you make that a reality? How do you dodge the statistics? I mean, we've all heard the statistics, we've heard horror stories of, of good kids going bad, so how do we keep our family from being a statistic? How do we help our children step into the fullness of everything that God has created for them? If you're even remotely paying attention as a parent, you ought to be a little bit nervous. I'm just telling you. I mean, just, I don't know how you could pay any attention whatsoever to the culture and the world that we live in and not be just a, just a little bit, at least a little bit nervous. How many of you as parents are at least just a little bit nervous, raising, it. let me just see the show. Okay, just curious. Well, you know, it was a few weeks ago as we were preparing for our Easter celebration around here that uh, one of our staff family, Chase McWilliams, had with him his son, Jax. Now, Jax is four years old, and Chase runs all of our tech and creative department, so he was running around getting people prepared, setting things up, getting ready, and Just before the first dress rehearsal happened, somehow, Jax managed to lodge something way up his nose back in his nasal cavity. And Chase was helping a lot of people get ready, and so he immediately went to Deanne Wilson, who's also on our staff family, and said, Deanne, I can't leave right now. I need you to take Jax to the pediatrician to get out of his nose whatever is up his nose. I don't know what it is. Deanne said, I'm your girl. I got this. And Deanne is kind of like a pseudo-grandmother to Jax anyway, so he trusts her. She scooped him up, put him in the car seat in the back of her car, and they made their way to the pediatrician. And while they were waiting for the pediatrician, Deanne kind of noticed that Jax was kind of getting a little quiet, and he was, he was starting to get a little nervous and kind of worried that that. Getting that plastic bead out of his nasal cavity might hurt coming out. And sure enough, the pediatrician walked in and and told them, we're not going to be able to take care of you here. You need to go see a specialist. And so Jax kind of looked at Deanne. They got back in the car, and they were making their way, and as Deanne was driving Jax to the ENT, she looked up in the rearview mirror, and she goes, Jax, how you doing, buddy? And Jax, at four years old, said, I'm I'm trying to be brave. (laughs) And Deanne said the following to him. She said, Jax, you are being brave. But did you know that you can be brave and scared at the same time? Jax's eyes lit up. He goes, you can? (laughs) That's me. You can be brave and scared at the same time. Now, the words that Deanne said to soothe the fears of a four-year-old on his way to get something out of his nose, I want to suggest to you may be the greatest parenting advice I have ever heard in my life. You can be brave and scared at the same time. I think it's exactly at that point in our families that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ steps into to provide grace to provide courage, and to provide hope for our families. Now, this message about fearless parenting is not a sermon just for parents. As a matter of fact, I think that this message is as much for the students who are here as it is for the children who are adult children of their parents. Because for you to understand that your parents' job is to work themselves out of that job, And the sooner you recognize that, the sooner you step into who God has created you to be and you start to demonstrate some of your own dependability, some of your own credibility, the sooner you're going to achieve the independence and the real freedom that you so desperately crave. So this understanding of parenting is critical for all of us because you cannot separate the gospel, the good news of Jesus, from parenting, and you can't separate Real biblical parenting from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the fact of the matter is that the gospel perfectly communicates the perfect love of our perfect heavenly father. And at the same time that it communicates that, it empowers earthly parents to demonstrate the gospel as they point their kids toward a relationship with Christ of their own, as they point their kids toward the purposes that God has created them for, which is ultimately our job as parents. Now, along the way, there are kind of three, what I would call broad brush approaches to to parenting, what we'll call kind of three paradigms of, of parenting, if you will. The first paradigm of parenting that I want to bring to your attention is the paradigm of the train track. The train track parent kind of goes back to that old verse in the Bible in Proverbs chapter 22 where it says train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. And these parents say there is one way. There is one railroad going down this track. You better make sure you get on because this is the way that my children will learn and develop the fulfillment that God has for them and woe unto anyone who gets in the way of that fulfillment. I will lay waste if you decide to try to impede my children's progress on this track, train track parenting. Now, before we take another step, I wanna make sure that you understand all three of these paradigms, I believe, really and truly come from a really good place. I think the vast majority of us, particularly as parents, are doing the absolute best that we can with what we've got to work with. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm doing the best I can. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't get better. That doesn't mean that we can't improve and deepen our understanding and and our godly wisdom for this task, this this assignment called parenting. And for us to get better, sometimes it requires the humility to admit that we've made a mistake. It it requires the humility to say, you know what, I may not... I, I might have been on that train track parenting thing. I, there, there, there may be a better way than what I've been using so far. And in those moments, again, the gospel of Jesus Christ allows us to say, yes, I've made mistakes. I, I've, I've adopted train track or maybe one of the other paradigms that is not the best way, but the amazing grace of God is bigger than any mistake that I can make as a parent, and I'm doing the best I can with what I've got to work with. So, for the train track parents... We've got to understand that the reality is different kids require different gauge tracks. Different kids have different personalities, different temperaments, different leanings that we need to adjust to on the fly. When Julie and I found out that we were expecting our firstborn, Emily, we attended a seminar called Preparation for Parenting. And it was a great, great seminar, especially for first-time parents who are you know, trying to get their arms around it. But I remember one of the central principles of this program is the assumption that every child should be put on a schedule as soon as possible after getting home from the hospital. That every child should be on a four-hour feeding schedule. Now, if you know anything about infants, most most babies want to be fed about every couple of hours, two, two and a half, something like that. Four hours with an infant who is hungry and crying is forever. It is a lifetime. But this this program said four hours. Stick to your guns, parents. Do not feed them. And then after you have fed them only on the four-hour interval, then have some Playtime with your children. Now, of course, you know, an infant who's just home from the hospital, this is (laughs) playtime. But that's playtime. You're you're engaging, you're smiling, you're talking, you're reading, you're holding up this, that, and the other. But then after playtime is nap time. And they must adjust to the schedule. Two hour naps, period. If you want your children to reach their God-given potential in life. (laughs) Now, because Julie's an educator and and a teacher at heart and by training, she kind of looked at the the schedule of this program and said, that's that's an interesting paradigm, and and that's great. We'll use it as a guideline, but that is not inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. We we can adjust the schedule if we want to. Well, there was another couple that were friends of ours who were going through the same program at the same time, expecting a child about the same time. And right after their baby had been born, Julie and I went over to visit. And when we got there, we scheduled our visit so that it was right after nap time and right after the feeding. And so we got there right at playtime. And playtime was, was great. The baby was in the middle of the floor <laughs> playing. <laughs> and we were having a nice adult conversation when all of a sudden we heard an alarm going off. Bant, meh, man. I thought there was a fire or something. Well, This new mom stood up, interrupted the conversation without saying a word, walked over, turned off the alarm, scooped up her baby in the other arm, and then made her way to the nursery where she deposited the baby in the crib. Then she came back into the conversation, and Jill and I were like, what was that? What what just happened? And she said, didn't you hear? The schedule. (laughs) Children need schedules. Children need structure, so we have a structured schedule. We're not just going to guess willy-nilly what time bedtime is. No, we have an alarm set up. That's what that is, and you need to do the same thing. (laughs) Train track, parenting. Train track, parenting. You see, our kids, though, are different. I I remember when Emily was born. Man, she was two and three years old, and... As I've shared with y'all before, you know she's now out of college and in grad school and more or less out on her own. But, but I remember when she was like two and three and four years old, man, she she pushed every single boundary we ever set. How many of you have a strong-willed blessing at home? Isn't that a great? That's a listen. (laughs) God bless the strong-willed blessings. I'm serious. That's a great thing. It just requires a lot of work. And with Emily. We discovered, early, we discovered early on, we discovered, we discovered early on that that you, you had to be consistent. You had to be relentlessly consistent. We, we figured out with Emily, spanking didn't even work. Man, we, I, I believe in, in godly, calm, biblical spanking, but with Emily, it didn't work. She was like, that's all you got? Bring it. <laughs> How many of you have one of those? You know what I'm talking about? She's like... I'm, all I'm doing is, my hand hurts, or the spoon, or wh- whatever it might be. Now, her younger brother Joe, on the other hand, Joe, Joe was a kid, man, you, you just look at him cross-eyed, and he was like right back in line for like two months. You just go, Joseph, if you do that again, there will be consequences. Not <laughs> tons of fences. No, I mean, he was great. everything's fine. Just the, just the thought of consequence. Emily, his sister, was like, what are they? It may be worth it to me. <laughs> you see, train track parenting is not a good idea. It's not. And that, that proverb that says train up a child in the way he should go or she should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it, that's more about the child than it is the parenting. Yes, there are certain non-negotiables. Honesty respect for authority, commitment and connection to a church family. We're not, we're not budging on those things. But, but there are a lot of other things that we can step back from and we can have a conversation about. I, I've noticed in my own life the things that I get dogmatic about that are not really non-negotiables, whenever I get dogmatic, it, it's usually because there is a certain layer of fear attached to whatever the conversation about. Have you ever noticed that? If you get like, like amped up and defense like, no, 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 we're going to put them down on the alarm, th- that's usually kind of a, that's, that's like a kind of a white-knuckle fear thing. And let me just show you how to kind of differentiate between, between fear-based dogma and value-based convictions. A, a value-based conviction versus a, a fear-based dogma, Here, here's what you do. Just, just ask yourself, how do I respond When I'm challenged on it. How do I respond if somebody challenges me on something? If you get, you know, amped up and defensive, like, no, you're wrong, then that's probably an indicator of some fear somewhere in your life. On the other hand, if you remain calm and can explain how you arrived at that decision and why you think this is the best route, it may not be the only route and it may not be a non-negotiable, but this is what we're going to do, as a general rule, that's going to be a value-based decision. And it's a very, very different thing that helps you kind of make sure that you're not one of those train track paradigm parents. Now, that's not to say that there are not things that don't matter, that there are some, some non-negotiables. And, and the second parenting paradigm that can create a lot of problems for our kids is not the train track, but I would refer to this as... The hot air balloon ride hot air balloon parents are just like man fired up let's see which way the wind's blowing <laughs> you this fad that fad yeah let's do yeah let's do that let's do some feelings based self discovery learning before they go to school just just see which way the wind blows let them ride a thermal any which way the wind will blow And again, I think a lot of times this comes from a good place, but sadly, it just doesn't work because our children do not arrive as a blank slate. They don't. The philosophers would refer to that thought as the tabula rasa because the fact of the matter is your kids, my kids, as much a blessing from the Lord as they are, they all got here the same way we did. We all arrive on the scene pre-programmed. For self-protection, self-promotion, and self-preservation, and just self in general. Nobody had to teach me how to be selfish. I got that one down, baby. And so did my kids. And so did your kids. And so the hot air balloon ride where we say, you know what, I don't want to force my beliefs on them. I want to let them choose. Again, it sounds great, but it is completely abdicating the responsibility that God has given to moms and dads to train up a child in the way they should go. Show them what God says about how to live their lives, but then have the fortitude, having done the homework yourself, to actually be able to explain why God says that. This is why this is the best way. For example, we don't lie in our house. We we don't allow half-truths. To live. If we know that there's a half-truth somewhere, we rip it out by the roots, stomp it, and kill it until it is dead. We don't have half-truths. We, we don't let people walk away with an assumption that we know is wrong, but it doesn't force us to lie. We, we stomp that stuff out, because the hot air balloon ride will do exactly what it implies it will raise up a generation of drifters, floaters, who just kind of go whichever way the wind blows, whoever they're talking to last, instead of people who live their lives according to the principles and the practices of God who created them in the first place, which is actually a great segue into the third parenting paradigm. And this is the ocean cruise. An ocean cruise is a great description of biblical parenting because when you embark on a cruise, you've got a destination in mind. There's a place that you're going to. As a parent, ordained, called by God to raise up children, there is a dream and a vision that God has for your children or He wouldn't have given them to you. And so your job, my job as a parent, is to help them discover the vision the dream that God has for their lives so that they can then step into it and make a relationship with Christ their own and live out the dream that God Almighty already has for them. It's not my dream. It's not your dream. It's what God created them for. Because when they begin to step into that dream, they experience the presence. They experience the purpose. They experience and express the power of God. The one who will never let them down and will never fail them. And it's it's there that this, this kind of fearless parenting starts to take root and, and Now, listen, when you're on a cruise, you've got a destination in mind, but you also understand winds are going to blow, rains are going to come, there, there are going to be some storms. You, you know that there are some pirates on the high seas who want to hijack your child's journey. But as a parent You prepare them, you set them up for a win, and you teach them to rely on God, and not just themselves, not just their grades, not just the money, not just their lives, but they rely on a relationship with Christ. And then all of a sudden, you start to reorient and reschedule your week and your priorities and your commitments. Then everything kind of starts to to clarify, and as it clarifies, it simplifies, and this, this cruise there are going to be some challenges. Don't, don't kid yourself. But you're, you're going somewhere. A, as a parent, you own the responsibility. You, you keep your hand on the, on the tiller. You, you know the speed to run at. Sometimes it's hammered down. Sometimes you've got to slow down and kind of recalibrate and, and rethink our direction to make sure we're still on course. But ultimately, our true north is that relationship with Christ while back, I was having a cup of coffee with a really good friend of mine, and this is a guy who is a great, I don't mean he's a good, I mean he's a great dad. He's a great husband, great friend. If, you, if, you, if I were to just kind of lay out his life for you here, you just kind of go, man, they've got it going on, and they do. They're not perfect by any stretch, but they've they got a good thing going as a family. He does personally professionally he does great, but in this particular conversation, out of nowhere, he asked me the following question. He said, Mac, do you ever wrestle with stress or anxiety? I said, no, but I'll pray for you. It's never been a problem for me. I said, man, are you kidding me? Yes. I said, as a matter of fact, that's... That's the number one spiritual challenge in my life. It's not the only one, but it's number one. He said, "I I cannot shake this." He said, "He goes, here's what's crazy." He goes, "Our kids are great. They're not perfect. Believe me, I know. One of them's grounded right now." He said, "But he goes, but he goes, but they're they're in a good place for their age, and and I feel like you know, barring some you know worldwide economic." Catastrophe. We're 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 getting there. We're prepared for them to go to college. Work is good. Our our marriage is great. You know, she keeps me in line like Julie does you. But but things are good. But I still there's just this gnawing, this 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 thing in the back of my head. Like, what if there's some stuff that I can't see? What what if what if there are problems that I don't know about? And I said, man, I get it. (laughs) I feel you. I. That's, that's what I do. I said, let me just, let me just share with you what, what I, how I handle that when it happens, not if, when. I said, typically when I get stressed, when I get wrapped around the axle of anxiety, it's usually, it's usually over stuff that hasn't happened. It's, it's usually over stuff that might happen, stuff that could happen, but it's almost never stuff that has happened. If it's actually happened, I can deal with that. It's the unknown that I get anxious about, that I worry about. So, I come back to what I know to be true. And what I know to be true is that God is constant, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What I know to be true is the fact that nothing can separate me from the love of God, that He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. God, that I have been in a relationship with since I was seven years old and I'm now 51, I've seen him too many times come through and I know how he operates. And because of who he is, I know that he hasn't brought me all the way this far to leave me hanging. That's what I know to be true. And just going on a little bit further, I know that Julie loves me. I I know Julie will be there when I walk in the door at the end of the day today. And she's proved it over and over and over and over again. These are the things that I know to be true. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, what are you doing right now on a regular basis to to ingest, to, to take in Scripture, because Scripture is what's true. The Word of God is what is real. So so what are you doing to to take that in? Because, man, that that is crazy you asked me that. He said, my buddy's been on me to join their men's Bible study for months. I just, I've been meaning to do it, I just haven't done it. And and, And this is a very, very, very close friend of mine, okay? So I looked at him across the table. I said, you know I love you, right? He goes, yeah. I said, you're an idiot. What are you doing? He was like, he just started laughing. He goes, I love you too. But I said, you know where the answer lies, but but you're not doing anything about it. You're you're not participating with God. You're not participating with other men who are going through the exact same thing. You don't have to share this when you show up. matter of fact, please don't. But, but. When you start to take in God's Word, when you start to appropriate it personally, then all of a sudden you've got, you've got truth that you can anchor a life on. You, you can hang on to that. I mean, you, you're right, I, I ought to do that. I said, no, don't, don't tell me I ought to do that. People tell me, that, Yeah, I man, we, we need to get back to church. It's, it ain't about getting back to church, it's about being the church. Together. A few months later, we sat down to have a similar cup of coffee. Again, just just catching up. No reason. I said, hey, you remember that conversation we had last time? How's that stress thing going? He goes, you're not going to believe this. I started going to that Bible study. My stress is better. I said, I love you. You're an idiot. The point is that the peace and the power and the presence of God for parenting is there for the taking. Is there for the taking. It's not some magic bullet formula. You don't have to attend three years of some class. You just got to want it. You just got to step into it, and again, this is where the gospel shows up most beautifully, most brilliantly, most powerfully. You see, our parenting, our, our parenting flows out of our relationship with God. Fearless parenting flows out of our relationship with God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible kind of lays this out there really, really clearly, really clearly. Beautifully, simply. Look at what it says. And, as a matter of fact, pull up that verse. I want to see are, are the words highlighted on this verse. Yeah, oh, you see that. Look at that. Read those verse. Read the highlighted words with me when we get there. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. It starts with our relationship with God, with us doing what it takes to love God with everything we've got. You might look at that and go, that's a weird command. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength like if I walked up to my wife and said, you will love me, that's not going to go well. <laughs> but you've got to understand, God is explaining to his people Israel how to experience the fullness of the life he's created them for. If you want the fullest, richest life that God created you for, this is how it happens. You must love God with everything that you've got. And then, out of that love for God, you parent. Then, then you, everything becomes a teachable moment. When, when you're taking in God's Word, when you're closer to God today than you were yesterday, then all of a sudden, you parent from a different posture. Then all of a sudden, everything is a teachable moment. Everything is an opportunity to point our kids toward Christ. But it starts with that wholehearted commitment to God. Number two, fearless parenting flows out of unconditional love. Fearless parenting flows out of unconditional love. I want you to go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 is one of these verses in the Bible that is worthwhile memorizing. It's worthwhile incorporating. You know, the Bible talks about hiding the Word of God in your heart. What it means to hide the Word in your heart means that you know it. You, you can call it up. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. The Bible says there is no fear in love. But, read that with me, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So as a parent... If, if I'm afraid, if I'm wrapped around that axle of anxiety, then it's because I haven't fully comprehended and appropriated the unconditional perfect love of God. This is why, this is why the gospel and parenting go hand in glove. Because, again, as the gospel perfectly communicates the perfect love of a perfect heavenly father, it empowers earthly Imperfect parents to point our children toward Christ. That's that's what it's there for. So if we don't fully, if we, if we have a shallow, superficial understanding and experience of the gospel, our parenting will be similarly shallow and superficial. The gospel empowers our parenting because the gospel shows us that we are loved no matter what. That there is nothing. To fear that when Jesus rose from the dead and he rose from the dead, when he got up from the grave, he got up and declared victory over every single demon in hell and every single sin that has ever been committed. And if he can overcome that, there is nothing, there is nothing that we have to fear. We can then parent from a posture of power and patience how many parents could use some patience? You don't have to raise your hands. I'm just asking for a friend. this This is another thing I've noticed about Pastor Mac as a parent. Whenever I get irritated with my kids, hypothetically, whenever I get irritated, annoyed, It's a me problem. It's always a me problem. If they're doing something wrong that I haven't talked to them about before or that they haven't understood, that's a me problem. But if they're doing something wrong that we've been over and over and over and over and over and over and over, then that is a me problem because that means I haven't enforced what I've already communicated. And and the parent who looks at their child and begins to count One, two, you get what you deserve because you've trained them now that it doesn't mean anything until they hear two. Oh, now I'm going to obey. Whereas before, if you just say, hey, daddy's done counting. When I ask you to do something, I need you to do it. If you've got a question about it, we can talk about it afterwards, but when I ask you Do it, sweetheart. (laughs) But fearless parenting flows out of unconditional love. Fearless parenting flows out of unconditional love and it flows toward productivity and competence, competence and resilience. Check this out in Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17 says, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. The word blessed, go back to the first sermon series we did this year. Happy New Year, happy all year. Blessed, happy, enjoying life are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a river bank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. They never stop producing fruit. Those who trust in the Lord will never stop producing fruit. Can you imagine a greater prayer for your children than that their whole lives would be fruitful, would be productive? That long after you and I are gone, people would look at our kids and go, man, something's going on there. Something is up. They are still productive. They are still fruitful in their lives because they put their hope in the Lord. Because their hope in the Lord puts down roots and allows the wind to blow. It allows the storms to come. That they never stop producing fruit. They never stop enjoying the life that God created them for. They never stop overcoming the problems that Jesus promised we would have. Some of you. Some of you think we've been talking about parenting today. You do. But what we've really been talking about is Jesus. We've said before that all roads lead to the cross, and they do. It it doesn't matter what you want to talk about. We can talk about parenting. Today's Earth Day. You want to talk about Earth Day? We talk about Earth Day. I'll get you to the cross. Not me, but the conversation. Ultimately, all roads lead to the cross, which means that the cross paves every path that flows from it. Because Jesus Christ died on that cross for you by name. He died on the cross for me by name. And he rose again from the dead so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life given to them by a perfect, unconditionally, eternally loving Father. This is the gospel. This is is our hope. This is our strength. This is our courage. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment, just for a moment, because if you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, stepped into that hope, then as a church we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. You, you don't have to pass a test or, or take a series of classes, you just have to willingly choose To, to confess that Jesus is God, that he is the Lord of this world and your life, and to confess that, well, that, that you're not God, that you're not gonna play God, but you're gonna confess your sin to Christ, and claim his forgiveness in order to experience the life that is truly life, to follow him. If that's you, then we wanna invite you just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of beginning, of relationship, a prayer of surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. In your own words, just right where you're sitting, silently talk to God and say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. And Jesus, I claim, I accept your forgiveness. And in exchange for your life, I give you mine. I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I thank you for this moment For this turning point in my life, turning for home. For just a moment, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed, your eyes closed in reverence. But for those of you who prayed that, that prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, this is the greatest moment in your life. And it's a moment to mark. And, and you're, kind of, you're kind of in the perfect environment for it because you're surrounded by people who want to help. Who want to be a, a family of faith with you. For you. And so, if you, if you would, I want to ask you just to do a couple of things. Number one, in your program there's a connect card. Open it up. You'll notice there it says connect card on it. About ask for contact information. And about halfway down, there's a place to indicate there I committed my life to Christ this week. If you would just fill that card out, just right now, just start filling it out right where you're sitting. And after you've completed it, you can tear it off along the fold and the perforation there in the middle. But before you leave, if you would just hand that card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts, or or maybe to somebody underneath the blue awning out here under the big front porch on your way out. But then second, if you would, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you just raise your hand? Quietly, but but unmistakably, just raise your hand as a physical representation of what God has done spiritually with you, for you. And as you make that physical symbol, just know that we love you. We want to help in any way that we can. And we we've, we've got kind of a family tradition around here as you put your hands down we like to put our hands together just to tell you welcome home. Welcome home.